Welcome to an inspirational message from Creekwood Church. We hope that you have an encounter with God and discover practical ways to help you live a life of purpose. Well, I want you to grab your Bibles uh, this morning and uh, go to John chapter 8, John chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. And um, this series, Slaying Giants, as I was thinking about it in preparation and looking at the different weeks that were coming up and I automatically thought about so many different things that become giants in our life and that, that on the surface maybe or when you're younger, you don't think about it, but the older you get, the more you carry around things and the more you struggle with different areas of your life, they actually become giants in your life. And there were so many different things that I could talk about and I was like, man, we could do 20 weeks on this series. Because I do believe it is an area that we struggle with a lot and that a lot of us today have a lot of different giants that are defeating us. And How many of you know that God's plan and God's purpose for our life is for us to slay the giants of our life? That those things in your life that you continually struggle with, that you're continually facing with, God wants to help you overcome those areas. Last weekend, we started the series off by talking about pain and how pain often brings about a lot of different giants in our life. And it causes us to, again, it affects our, affects our life in just so many different ways. And some of us today, because of the pain that we've experienced in our past, are carrying around some giants. And today, as we look at this story, I, I want to show you this story first of all, and then uh, draw some things from this story today as we look at God's Word. The Bible says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? And I want to pause right there. We'll finish reading this this scripture um, a little later on in the message. But I want to stop right there and just use this front end of this story to launch us into what we're going to talk about today. Because the topic that we're going to talk about is a very common daily occurrence that plays out in every one of our lives on a daily basis. The voices that you hear in your life are not the voices of a mob of people with stones in their hands, but rather the voices that you're hearing in your life are going on inside of your mind. That those voices that are going on and the conversations that are going on inside of your mind, they can become giants. They're giants of, that bring about constant accusation, that bring about constant condemnation. And seven days a week, 24 hours a day, that that we all have this certain side of us, that we have this inner conversation, these voices that are going on in our life that are constantly accusing us, they're constantly condemning us. And there's this conversation that's happening. And I'm going to be a little bit honest with you today and just tell you that this, this message really touches home for me because this is an area that I've struggled with a lot in my life. Of really just a lot of the conversation and the voices of things that I hear in my head and 
I know you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to church and pastor hear stuff. <laughs> it's like, I'm talking about, you know, just things about your past and things that you look at you wish you could do differently. You know, you've heard me talk about my mom. My mom was an incredible mom. Um, I love my mom. My mom always made our life so exciting. I was the, the baby of three boys, and so you know I was spoiled. My mom uh, just made our birthdays incredible. She was just like, you always had a great time. My mom just had this special, we had this bond together. And my dad was kind of like really the, the enforcer, no nonsense. My dad was like, you know, he, he communicated what he communicated, but there wasn't a lot of fluff. And, and my dad just, you know, like if you ask my dad for money for a hamburger, he'd ask you how much is a hamburger, and, and like he gave you the exact amount or he wanted his change back. My mom was like, you want to go get a hamburger? Here's 20 bucks. Why don't you go get you a candy bar too? And get you a large Coke too. And like she, you know, if I asked my mom for clothes, my mom took me and bought me the best clothes. My dad would take me to the cheapest store possible. And if you wanted Adidas, you weren't going to get Adidas from my dad. You were going to get Abidas. <laughs> so, but my mom was, again, I'm telling you that to tell you that, that I had wonderful parents, but my mom was just this very relational. My mom loved to be with us boys and loved just taking care of us. And I remember when I graduated from high school, I, I, man, I, I left and went to college, and I just started gradually disconnecting from my mom. And my mom would say, when are you coming back home? And my parents, if you don't know my story, my parents were missionaries in South America, and so it wasn't exactly easy. And again, I could rationalize this in my head, but I would just put my head down, and I went to college, and I was like, I want to be in the ministry, and God's called me. And I, my mom and dad would once in a while say, are you coming home to see us? And are you going to come see mom? And my mom would like call and say, are you, are you coming home? We're having this event or this, you know, and I was like, mom, I'm busy. And then I became a youth pastor, and I was like, every summer would come along, and for 16 years, I, I could hardly count the times that I ever went home. Because I always thought, you know what? And again, I rationalized it in my head. I thought, man, I'm called in the ministry. These kids need me. And I got to go to camp. And mom, I can't come home for Thanksgiving. That's youth convention. And that's a big deal to us. And like, I can't take off on the weekend. And I, again, I rationalized. And then I moved here. And Started Creekwood Church. And again, I, my dad would call and say, hey, we're having, and I, I tell you, one event that stands out so big to me is my mom's 70th birthday. My dad threw this big surprise party for my mom. And I'm, I'm like, I can't go. We're starting a church. And I, I spiritualized it. And I'm ashamed to tell you, I put the ministry over my family. And the voices that I started hearing in my head, and it really got bad when, you know the moment my dad called me and said, Stephen, I'm sorry. My dad told me, he said, Stephen, your mom is not well. She's in the hospital. You need to come back. And I was like, oh, dad, mom's sick or whatever. And I didn't take it. My brother called me and he said, mom's not doing good. And I 
was like, I told, I was like, I got to go. And I landed in landed there, my mom was already unconscious. My mom passed away. And I'll tell you, I stand up here to tell you, I'd give everything I have to be with my mom. To hear her voice. To feel her hug. And the voice that I hear in my head over and over is, you're a terrible son. You're not a good son, Stephen. If you were a good son, you would have gone home. You would have been there for your mom. You would have been there. You would have taken time. Listen, I, I could stand up here and rationalize all day long about 16 years or whatever, or last 13 years of, of this church that, that I was doing God's work and I was called, and that's what was going through my head. It wasn't that I wasn't intentionally not doing that, but I realized that voice, has it's, it's a giant inside of my head that if I don't control that voice that is, is continually accusing me of saying that I'm not a good son, that I wasn't a good son. You know, I hear that sometimes even as a pastor. I hear the voice that starts to go on in my head, that giant of the, the voices of accusations that's saying, Stephen, you're really not a good pastor. And like there are weekends that I stand up here and I, I preach and I look out at y'all and I'm like, I see your face and you're like, what are you talking about? We don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> or I've made decisions like in, in, in the, the history of this church of, you know, like, man, we, we started the weekend after Halloween and like, who starts a church on the weekend after Halloween? Church experts tell you that's not the weekend to start. We started in the oldest school in town. And I hear these voices. I've, I've, you know, like I can remember to this day certain things people have said to me. Like, you know, years ago somebody said, you know, I'm just used to having a strong pastor. And I'm like, well, I need to go work out. <laughs> that's not what they meant, but... <laughs> But I have those voices that are ringing in my head that are accusing me. They're constantly condemning me. And you have those because you have certain areas of your life. You look at your life and, and those voices, the voice of condemnation, the voice of, of shame, it's, it's, it's there and it is cruel. That giant of condemnation and that voice that comes to you about your past and about things. And some of us, listen, we've done things or we've experienced things that we feel that, that condemnation and we feel terrible about it. And, and again, it is, it's cruel, it's relentless, it's unreasonable, and it will condemn you. And that giant will pound away at your heart and at your life hour after hour after hour. And that giant of condemnation and shame in your life of whatever it is. There's parents here today. And Matt, your kids are grown today and you look back and you, you're like, I was 22 years old and I had three little kids or two kids. I was so clueless and I would do anything to go back and redo it. 
and the shame and condemnation, it is a giant voice inside of your life that is relentless, pounding away at your life. Again, we can talk about a lot of, a lot of these areas of our life. And for some of you, maybe it's, it's even something so small as you got in a big old knockdown fight with your spouse. Some of you on the way to church today. Or maybe this past week, and you showed up, and we started worshiping, and you're like, oh, man, I love this. I love That's my favorite song. And the voice in your head was, you're a hypocrite. Because you lost your temper, and you're saying all kinds of junk to your spouse, and now you're standing over here worshiping God? Who are you? And it wants to shut you down. See, I want to talk about this today because I think this is a giant in your life that you have to slay. That you cannot allow the condemnation and, and the shame and, and the guilt that the enemy wants to bring inside of your life to destroy your life. And if you're taking notes today, I hope you are. If you're not taking notes, I want you to write this down too. Um, that was funny, but anyways, um, just trying to break the ice a little bit. Shame and guilt are not identical. Shame and guilt are not identical. Let me say that. They're not. They're not the same thing. Guilt is what you have done, and shame is what you imagine you are or what you believe you are. And, and again, uh, shame is, is I'm a bad person. Guilt is I did something bad. And the, the, the voice of condemnation always wants to take us from what we did to a label of who we are. In other words, the voice of condemnation, those voices that you feel accusing you, that you hear inside of your head, it wants to take one event of your life, one moment of failure, one, one season of failure, and label you as that person, that you are a failure. You're a bad son. You're... You, Whatever it is, you're a bad parent. And one of the worst things that you can do, again, is to take that failure and let it become your identity. And again, this is the, the way the enemy works. And he uses the voice of condemnation in your life. And what he, he communicates to you is, um, if you lied, then you're a liar. If you, are, if you failed one time in your life or 20 times in your life, then you're a failure. If, if, again, we could go on and on and on about this. And I, I want you to understand there's a big difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is something that you, you've done wrong. Shame is what you believe about what you've done. And the enemy will take that and start to distort this. And I want you to hear me when I say this this morning. One of the most powerful things the enemy does is that he has come along oftentimes and he deceives us as Christ followers into believing a lie that we have to hide behind the idea of perfection. 
And this is where the shame comes in. And again, this, this is a part that I, I hate this about Christianity. Is that we, we believe that we have to be perfect. And we, this lack of authenticity that sometimes we feel pressured into acting like we don't relate to or connect to our own humanity. And so what happens is we come, we become Christ followers, we start following Christ, and then we start kind of putting on the fake look of, I got to be perfect. And this is why some, some people that aren't Christians don't want to be Christians because they believed your lie, that they think you're perfect. And, and this is, the reason this is so dangerous is, is that we start to feel this pressure that we have to live this life of, you know what, I can't admit that I'm, I've messed up, but let me just say this to you. You're going to mess up. We're all guilty. I want you to understand this. People that love God with all of their heart have flaws, have weaknesses. They have vices. They have habits. They have hang-ups. They fall into temptation. They sin. I'm still talking about people that love God. They have all of these areas that you have these areas. And, and you got to understand this because if not, what happens is when you fail and you have these moments every single day, there are going to be moments, whether intentionally or not, that you're going to fail and you are guilty and the enemy is going to come along and try to get you to grab a hold of that moment and make it your identity. The enemy is going to try to take that and try to use that to get you to label yourself. See, you have to remind yourself. And one of the most powerful things that you can do to slay this giant is understand that you live every single day in a body that has a flesh that is sinful. And we forget that sometimes. And one of the things that I think so oftentimes happens to us is that we forget about people like Paul, the Apostle Paul. You think about the Apostle Paul, and he was a godly man. He would lay his life down for God and serve, serve the Lord with all of his heart. But you listen to what some of his writings about his own life, and you, you can, like, you're like, you know what, I can relate to this guy. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 7, 14. And I want to read it to you in the message. It's just a modern a version translation just to kind of help you understand what he says. In verse 14, it says, I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself after all. I spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but, I, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions... I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. 
I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. Now look at me for just a moment and think with me. Get your mind out of like, oh my word, the Apostle Paul had some big old sin. We automatically want to think that. And, and kind of just like think in terms of, of like everyday life. Like, for example, what the Apostle Paul is saying to us is like, I want to drive by the donut shop and not stop, but I stopped. I tell myself to not go get an apple fritter and a chocolate donut. And I'm just going to drive by it, but I, I'm like, I'm inside and I'm ordering it again. Am I preaching? I told myself at the beginning of the year, I was going to get in the, like the best shape of my life. I'm getting high school skinny. <laughs> like I'm breaking out the, the, the skinny clothes because I'm going to be so fit. You watch out. I'm eating good. And like two days later, you're eating chocolate cake. You're having to go buy bigger pants. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about, that struggle, that flesh that goes on inside of all of us. You have to understand the context is this. You're living with the flesh that oftentimes what you want to do is not what you do. And you're going to find yourself guilty. You're going to find yourself with those moments that you're going to struggle with that and the enemy's going to try to come along with the voices in your head and he's going to grab a hold of that and he's going to build up the condemnation and the shame in your life and he's going to start labeling you with that and you're going to start believing you are that. And where the giant becomes destructive is when you can't handle those voices anymore and you start to turn to numb it. You try to figure out any way you can and this is where addictions come in. This is why we start to drink too much or people do all kinds of stuff. Because you're trying to numb out the voice of the past. Verse 20 says, my decisions such as they are don't result in action. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that I... That is predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly rebels, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. Don't you love the Apostle Paul? I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer that God is, that Jesus Christ can and does. Isn't that powerful? He says, isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God. Thank God is that Jesus can and he does it in my life. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all of my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. 
And again, this is, this is, this is the, the, the big, big way that you slay the giant of the voices of condemnation and shame is your life is that you consciously make a decision that you are going to find your identity not in what you have done or what you do. It is only and only found in the grace of God. It's when you begin to walk in the freedom of, 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 of understanding this unconditional love that God gives you. It's this decision that you say that I choose to walk in the grace and the forgiveness of God. It's freeing. See, there's, again, so many things that go on in our head. And until you get to a place that you begin to understand the power of what grace does in your life and how much it changes you. You know what people can condemn you and people can nag you and that voice of condemnation do you know that shame has never never changed anybody and some of you think that you nagging at somebody or you trying to condemn somebody or making somebody feel bad is going to make them change their life and it's not the power of understanding when God loves you so much and you understand his love and his grace and that how God loves you and that had his mercies are new every single morning. It does something so powerful to help you overcome your struggles. You know, I was thinking about this and, and how I could illustrate this. And, you know, as a kid, I had a tendency of losing. I don't know if some of you may have kids like this. I was the kid that lost everything. If I went to a friend's house, I always ended up leaving my jacket. I lost, my parents would buy me something, and like two days later, I don't know where it is. And my dad had this way, again, my dad had this way of always like, he just, you know, he didn't say a whole lot, but my dad would say, you know what, you know, son, we got to work at this because you are responsible. And my dad just had this way of believing in me. And I'm just telling you, like, I'm sure back, you know, back when I was a kid, nobody was on medication. If I was a kid now today, I'd probably be on all kinds of medication. Because I was so all over the place, and I would forget stuff. And I was thinking about something that really means a lot to me, and I, I automatically went in my head to this, that I have this little, some of y'all aren't going to even know what this is. I have this little Casio calculator. <laughs> some of y'all are like, is that a cell phone? No. It's, it's, it's calculator. My dad gave me this when I was in eighth grade. I've had it for 38 years or a little bit more than that. <laughs> Lost track. It's been a long time. But I keep this little calculator in my desk. And every time I see this calculator, what it speaks to me is that I am a responsible young man. It says something powerful to me is that my dad believed in me. Now, you can tell my dad was a little worried. He wrote my, he engraved my name on it. <laughs> it's like, he put nut, that's engraved in there. And I'm, I'm proud of that. But this little calculator means a lot to me. Now, I want to, it means a lot to me because it reminds me of my dad that believed in me. And I want to remind you today of, of a God that your heavenly father believes in you. 
And no matter what's happened in your life, no matter what you walk to in your life, you have a God that is crazy about you. That he's the God of second chances. He's the God that is looking at you and saying, come on, we're going to do this together. That the voices of condemnation that are coming up inside of your heart, that are coming up inside of your life, the shame that wants to try to destroy you, it's, it, it cannot stand up against the grace of God. See, I want to finish that scripture very quickly that we started off with at the beginning of this message. And verse 6 of John 8, if you want to go back there, it says, They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older one first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. In other words, begin again. And I want you to write this down. You're not condemned because you are guilty. And I want you to hear me this because I hear, hear when I say this is that God, um, when Jesus encountered this woman, what Jesus was trying to do is he was trying to keep the shame off of her. He wanted to release her from condemnation. And this is what he does in our lives is that God wants to remove the shame and the condemnation that we feel about what we've done and what we're doing in our lives. And God wants to fill us with this grace and this hope in our life. See, what Jesus was doing, his goal was to encourage this woman. And you know, your goal ought to be in your own life, in your own relationships with the people that you have in your life, is not to condemn them or shame them. It's to encourage them that they have a God that loves them, that, that have, they have a God that believes in them. I hope this is helping you today because you can slay that giant. And I know some of you are boxed in and backed up sometimes with those voices that are coming up inside of your head. And I pray that you will remind yourself to every single day of your life what Romans 8, 1 says, that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That every moment you feel boxed in and you feel like the enemy is pushing you up and that giant is, is trying to push you up in a corner, that you will shout out and you will say, there's no condemnation in my life anymore. Some of you need to, you, you need, your, yourself needs to hear you speak that over your life, that there is no condemnation over your life. We're all sinners. We've all messed up. We've all got things about our life. We wish we could go back. The most powerful thing you can do today is to make that decision to drive a, a stake in the ground and say, there is no condemnation over my life. I will not walk in shame. I will not walk in condemnation in my life. I choose to find my identity in the grace of Jesus Christ in my life. I am forgiven. I have a God that believes in me. that wants to create something beautiful out of my life. 
Would you bow your heads today as we pray? Father, I thank you for this grace, this unconditional grace that you've given us that allows us to slay the giants of condemnation and shame in our life. Father, I pray that we would destroy it. Father, I pray that we would no longer walk in that in our life. And Father, we would use your grace and your mercy in our life to slay the giant of condemnation and shame in our life. Father, I pray over every person here this morning that God is struggling in, in such a deep way the different voices that are accusing them. May they find healing today. May they look up and see you today and know how much you love them. Father, be with us, God. God, we need your presence. We thank you for this. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you for listening. For more messages and information about Creekwood Church, visit us at creekwoodchurch.com.